0: Please join us every week for a new episode of Understanding the Human Condition with Dr. James Flowers. Dr. Flowers and his most admired mentors, respected colleagues and VIP guests will share valuable insight into underlying health causes, conditions and issues. For more information about Jay Flowers Health Institute and its concierge services, go to jflowershealth.com or dial 713-783-6655 and be sure to mention this podcast. Welcome
1: everyone to Understanding the Human Condition with your host, Dr. James Flowers.
0: Hey Robin, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Uh, Well, I'm super excited. Today we have uh, a co-host with us. We do? a, a, A third it's a triad today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you got two blondes on oh, the show. No. Oh, no. We,
0: we have uh, Dr. Louise Stenger with us co-hosting. Thank you for joining us as a co-host.
2: My goodness, it's my pleasure, my honor. I'm so excited to be here and to and our special
1: guest, Adam Swanson. A fellow Swanson. Californian. Adam Swanson of Lido Wellness Center is zooming in.
0: Hey, Adam. Hi, nice to see you guys. Nice to see you. Thanks so much for doing this with us today.
1: So I wanted to just do a little quick intro, and then we'll go into some more and have a good conversation here. Adam is a primary therapist at Lido Wellness Center. His goal is to bring into focus barriers preventing patients from thriving and to help them cultivate their own abilities to overcome challenges. So let's see how he can help us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, tell, Adam, tell us about, you. first of all, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your background and, and a little bit about you. Sure,
3: yeah.
0: Well, I am a California
4: native. So I was born and raised in, in LA County in Burbank, in like a suburb of LA. Um, but so oddly enough, I fell in love with surfing. It's like been my pastime, my passion since I was 10 years old. And sure. so I always wanted to get to the beach. So I got myself to the beach, moved here, and then kind of, uh, I mean, not to give the whole backlog history, but kind of was a late bloomer in regard to figuring out what I wanted to do in this life and what my career was going to be. And kind of, you know, you get asked that question a lot of like, why did you become a therapist? Right. Like, yeah. kind of what, right. And my, I almost felt tripped up sometimes with that question. And then finally, I came to that place of just accepting, like, the answer is I just followed a hunch. Yeah. Just intuitively was like, I think this is something I can do and be good at. And it was that experience of, I remember my first day of, you know, our graduate program, it was just like that confirmation where I was like, I never really liked school that much. I was <laughs> never like a bookworm. And so school was always just, I had to do it. And then the, I remember the first day of my program, it was like, this is like nothing I've ever experienced. Like, I, I love this. I'm interested. I was motivated. And so that just like lit that fire from then on. It was game on in regard to yeah. kind of becoming a therapist and, and doing this work. And so, um, kind of career-wise, I suppose, you know, I got my start, like a lot of us therapists do interning kind of in the nonprofit sector, working with a lot of families and like younger children, um, that kind of segued into getting into the addiction field, working Mm -hmm. with substance abuse treatment. Um, you know, I, I suspect a lot of therapists in Southern California in specific will often kind of fall into that almost because it's such like this kind of mecca of treatment, Mm -hmm. especially for substance abuse in Southern California. So. I worked in that for years, um, and then, of course, kind of did my own practice on the side, working with a lot of adolescents. I've always really enjoyed that work with adolescents nice. because yeah. I, I think, in some ways, I, I kind of do have that uh, Peter Pan syndrome, where I don't. I think I always question, like, do I really want to grow up? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so like, you work with adolescents, and you just it's just you can be kind of like them for that yeah. session, you know, and, and be authentically like there with them. So, yeah. I like that work. And, yeah. And then I've been, you know, here at Lido Wellness working with primary mental health for the last about coming up on like kind of two years. And that's just really been fascinating and eye opening for me from coming from more of that, you know, the addiction kind of field and how to segue some of that into more primary mental health, the similarities, the differences. Yeah. It's been like a, a pure kind of learning experience for me yeah. to be working here for the last couple of years and, and really enjoy that. I love working with, again, I like, I guess the best description, of what I really love working with is relationships and like kind of particularly like codependency issues, but mm-hmm. on an individual level, like working with the individual. Sure. to help them kind of navigate that because i think in some ways it's like it's kind of that notion. give me the one family member right who yeah. like actually is willing to do something about changing this family system right and i love just digging into that so right. that's kind of the work i most enjoy doing
0: that's so cool um i can't wait to hear more about lido wellness you know We have a few things in common i was a late bloomer as well (laughs) it took me a while to finish undergraduate school i had way too much fun in undergraduate school i loved my program my undergraduate degree is uh, actually in marketing and finance and i loved that doing that but i knew that i wanted to do something else and that's when i kind of went in the direction of psychology and counseling but that kind of expanded the time it took to 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 graduate But uh, uh, yeah, and then the other connection we have is Lisa Jane Vargas, which is why we're here together today. And I used to work with Lisa Jane uh, uh, out in Arizona, and I consider her a great colleague and a very good friend. Um, And she's an amazing person in, uh, in the field that we're all in together around the country. So uh, um, Lisa Jane, thanks for, uh, I know you're out there listening, Lisa. So thanks for, <laughs> thanks for introducing us and making this happen today. So Aww. yeah, kudos to you. So I- I'd love to m- know more about uh, Lido Wellness. Tell, yeah. tell us about what Lido does. And then the follow-up question is, um, or actually the first question before you tell us about Lido, if you don't mind. Tell me, you were just talking about moving from addiction into uh, mental health. Right. And yeah. what that transition was like, because it is different. Sometimes it's very similar. Obviously, we see people with comorbid addiction and mental health. Sometimes we see pure addiction and sometimes we which rare. And then sometimes we see mental health with no addiction. So what was that experience like for you? And how do you see those two differing?
4: Yeah, So the experience for me, again, was very um, exciting. Again, at the front end, because I think I had you know, like I was saying a lot of, and that's why I say a lot of, and I include myself and a lot of therapists, you kind of just almost stumble into that field originally Mm -hmm. with kind of, again, the substance abuse, not having, you know, not recovering myself. So it's like, that was this huge learning experience of and of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I always kind of had that lurking suspicion of like, I wonder what it would be like, you know, to work with just primary mental health. Um, I shouldn't say just, but just primary mental health. Um, And so I was excited about it and it, it really was just kind of, um, I think maybe surprisingly similar, where mm-hmm. there was a lot of similarities in just the therapy I was doing. Right. And that might be more indicative of how I do therapy, where, you know, I think when working in substance abuse, it was almost like I just naturally it wasn't like addressed head on the substance abuse. It was almost like there it would always be this kind of back channel, right? Of looking at the mental health. Mm -hmm. was the kind of, right, as we all know, like, would usually drive the substance abuse in many ways. So I kind of was already doing that, I suspect, without Mm -hmm. even really putting my finger on it, that I was working with the primary mental health, in a way. Um, And that would then, in turn, kind of, again, fuel the recovery, if you will, Mm -hmm. from addiction. And then, so I think that's why I was almost, like, kind of surprised at how not different my therapy sessions felt. Right. Working with you know a primary substance abuse client versus working with a primary mental health abuse, um, I think the difference is, and again it's hard to tease out it was it just difference between the populations or the just facilities in particular, but I definitely notice. Um, I would almost call it like an advantage of the mental health um, kind of field or working with that is there seems to be a. a, a Stronger kind of commitment, engagement, and motivation Mm -hmm. um, versus with addiction. There seems to be kind of these almost like built in resistances Mm -hmm. to it in almost like kind of a stronger way. Part of you know, and again, I'm speaking in generalities, there's always the outliers of of kind of crossover and you know, change, but um, there would just be a little bit more of that, yeah, resistance where you can almost feel, you know, the presence of kind of the guard up. Mm-hmm. because I suspect it, it had been, especially by the time they had arrived in treatment and especially clients, there seems to be a lot more repeat
3: mm-hmm.
4: treatment episodes with that kind of population. Right. Where that's what I, I think in a way reinforces that resistance at times. Mm-hmm. I would notice, that was like one of the big differences I noticed was just a far more kind of a greater motivation, openness to engage Um, versus some of those, again, almost unconscious resistance and kind of guards that I would come across. Right. Um, Again, more working in mental health, there seems to, I was about to say it seems to be more family involvement, but maybe that might just kind of be pretty equal. Mm -hmm. Um, The interesting thing, I think there's kind of a particular challenge working with mental health primary where when you're working with substance abuse primary it's almost like there's this inevitable right like with substance abuse there's the thing there's this objective actual existing outside of the person thing the right. substance right mm-hmm. that i think the both the, the client the patient <laughs> the family like can almost like point to you and it's almost more tangible if you will there's more measurable goals it's more like you know have you remained sober for a month You know, two months, it's like there's this kind of uh, easy, if you will, like goal to work toward. Right. There's almost like that tangible thing where with primary mental health, that's that's kind of gone in some way. Right. It's all internal. Right. It's how do you measure the progress when it's all just subjective report of the internal experience in a way you could probably find some objective kind of measures. But it's not, it's not as easy. It's not, that again, that just glaringly big, obvious substance, right? It is the thing right. out of them. So that's been my experience of kind of the differences and similarities.
0: Yeah. And then segueing into talking about primary mental health, tell us about Lido and what you guys do uh, at Lido. Yeah. So
4: Lido, this place has been like um, – I can only kind of sing its praises.
3: <laughs> Good. <laughs> I,
4: I, you know, it's like I know the context of, of what we're talking about, and, that's, and I, I'm always very uh, insecure about coming across inauthentic, but it really is. Like, the, the team of people here, the, the way in which they approach um, really comprehensive treatment, right, where you get, like, a really wraparound team mm-hmm. of clinicians um, and just kind of the almost abundance of therapists and, you know, I've joked about it with kind of uh, the leadership and the ownership of like, it's two years and I'm waiting for like the monster to come out of the closet, right? Like what's, what's the catch here, right? Like how you guys are able to kind of have such like a um, collaborative, compassionate team where the, none of the staff are overworked. It's completely very manageable caseloads. Um, again, you know, it, it's, it's pretty trauma focused is kind of a, what I would say is kind of like our specialty. Um, and so, you know, every client, every patient who comes gets uh, essentially a team, right, of therapists where you have a, kind of your primary therapist, which I, which I am typically, mm-hmm. who kind of is, again, more of like the generalist, if you will, and kind of treats mm-hmm. the whole spectrum. And then you get a specialist, right, in trauma. And you're doing somatic experiencing or EMDR, and you're doing getting that team, um, yeah. and having that kind of focus has been where I haven't experienced that I'm sh- much other places. Um, where we really do again focus on that collaboration and kind of team approach and kind of making sure all and, well, and you, you get a family therapist, <laughs> sure,
2: yeah,
4: or like you get that, that piece in there as well, yeah. So at least they,
2: so Adam I'm bursting with questions they know that. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 before I ever start I, I need to tell you I love the hear fact that you've talked about surfing because our family actually helped start the first water surfing school in the United States for women called Surf Diva, which yeah. is now celebrated its 30th year at That's the Hawaii Shores. So, you know, anybody that can ride a wave or um, I think we do life-saving work. But yeah. I guess when we asked about Lido, I just really wanna know how big is it? How many beds do you have? And in a perfect world, what would be your ideal client? Because obviously I, have ability to either talk to people or refer to people all over um the world so tell me what age range or how big that would be so helpful i think to all the listeners of Mm -hmm. Jay flowers as well for all the moms listening yeah
4: so yeah so we are we're i would kind of identify us as on the smaller side but with purpose Mm -hmm. right so it's a more intimate setting you know and we We're an outpatient program, so we don't have residential, right? We work with kind of partnered facilities for that piece when we need to refer out or when they're referring for, like, um, aftercare. So we have a PHP and IOP program. For those of you who don't know the the treatment language, right, that's either basically a full day of programming, usually about six hours a day versus three hours a day, and it's kind of this nice titration, right, of treatment down. Um, And so... You know, we have a mix of clients who are local, and again, coming just starting with us at that kind of outpatient level. Um, some of our clients are coming from a residential program, and so they're doing that kind of the next phase of treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and some are out of state, so we do, again, have supportive housing. So it's, again, not residential, but it's supportive sure. housing, we have some oversight, you have some accountability and supervision, even within the housing component, but you're still coming to your treatment. We believe in that kind of healthy somewhat, you know, like, you want some collaboration between those two entities, Mm -hmm. but you also want to acknowledge that this is a next phase of treatment. So you want to kind of get more freedoms and, you know, responsibilities. So you want a little bit of that separation at the same time. Yeah. Um, So really, we're looking at, again, a simultaneous toy separate PHP program and IOP running at the same time. And really, we we try to hold to that kind of golden number of eight people in a group so there's been times where we've had to kind of split off and you know split our iop so we might have two iop programs running in one php Mm -hmm. and that should give you a kind of idea of the numbers of how big we are right sure Um, So. so again pretty small more intimate um and you get that's i think that's kind of our um forte if you will of like we keep it small we want to keep it to where you're not coming into this giant facility and like these big groups where you have kind of that space to either kind of hide or the defense mechanisms can just run amok yeah Yeah, yeah. (laughs) you know like you really you have that oversight and again there's just so much staff around it's it's very much like that very strong you know i don't know the numbers of the client sure um, to staff ratio but it's it's especially for clinical credentialed staff, the client ratio, right. is yeah. very strong where there's so many clinician therapists. Yeah. You know, What's our, the
0: mental health diagnosis range of diagnoses that you guys treat at Lido?
4: Sure. So we see like a pretty, you know, the kind of your, your, it sounds weird to say, but like your typical yep. <laughs> diagnoses, right. Which is going to fall on again. And, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, right, major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety. Um, and we can, we're comfortable kind of extending into that range of um, the more acute, I would kind of call, diagnosis, right, where there, there might be an eating disorder underlining. Again, there may be even, um, you know, a psycho effect, you know, or um, some degree of psychosis has maybe recently mm. occurred, or there sure. might even be some psychotic kind of features presenting themselves. Mm but so long as the patient is stable and there isn't, is not necessarily a crisis situation or it feels like those symptoms are almost kind of swinging around and sabotaging the treatment progress. That's we're comfortable kind of managing that as well. Um, and again, I would say our kind of particular niche is more of the trauma piece and kind of really working with that. And then I think you had mentioned kind of, uh, the ideal client
3: yeah you know mm-hmm.
4: patient, which is such a good question to ask um i you know our mission statement to kind of paraphrase it, is essentially like we want to be the last treatment facility okay. that you go to Yeah. Um, i think you know it's definitely been my observation i'm sure your guys is, and it was definitely the observation of our leadership team where we would see so many patients kind of you almost get caught in the cycle of treatment, Mm -hmm. right? Where it's kind of just treatment episode after treatment episode. And so I think that's why we pay particular attention to keeping, again, that small kind of setting with a really, with a wraparound team to kind of catch those pieces that have been missed, perhaps in the previous treatment episodes. Um, And that's what we really aim to do. So the The patient the client that we really seek is again that one who's just they're fed up right or they can't figure out why they keep getting their own way right well i've done this three times five times over of doing the same right i keep getting caught in it so that's kind of our ideal client and you know their age range it's really i wouldn't say targeted right we get anywhere from very young adults who's kind of they're really stagnated and developing and kind of launching right into adulthood um, That's like, I, I love working with that. And then we'll have all the way up to the kind of the other types of phase of life transitions, right? Where it's maybe the parents who are kind of facing the whole empty nest, mm-hmm. you know, syndrome and, and kind of on that almost um, transitioning out of the work life phase of life. Mm-hmm. So any kind of phase of life transition, it's almost like that's, you know, from that phase of life into adulthood and that phase of life into almost retirement. Like that phase is where all the stuff starts manifesting. So,
0: yep. you know, it's a wide range, but yeah. Absolutely. Thank yeah. You. Tell us about codependency within the families that you work with and how you uh, work with codependency.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Codependency has been one of those things that it just—it's really interested me since, obviously, coming from like the world of substance abuse treatment, mm-hmm. where that kind of that term was even born out of, right? Um, I just, I think, again, not being in recovery myself, being kind of. Um, immersed in that kind of world if you will that's what really struck me as just so interesting and tragic yeah. about kind of how it unfolds with family systems and how you have you know these parents or these spouses or whoever the family members are right who are kind of surrounding the person suffering from addiction it turns into again what I call like a paradox I think that we're I don't know if I'm using the word right, but we're going to just go with it. (laughs)
3: I'll
4: call it a paradox of there's so much love and care kind of being poured out and so much kind of um, protective reactions to fear that come in and do the kind of classic rescuing the person from essentially facing the natural consequences of the actions that ensue when addiction takes hold. And I think the question that everyone has and, like, no one can answer is, like, when, when does that become reinforcing of the addiction itself, uh-huh. right? When does the kind of consistent coming in, rescuing, allowing the person to, again, not essentially face kind of the, right, in that world is called, like, the rock bottom, right? Uh-huh. Of, is that perpetuating it? Is that just creating more time and space for the miracle to happen? These, that, that is a horrific question to wrestle sure. with mm-hmm. as a parent, yeah. right? When you have a child or again, you have a spouse who is absolutely suffering and yet you know, you really have to, you're kind of, I, I guess you're working on two like extremely powerful drives in the human body, right? Like, especially when it's a parent, you, there's an instinctual drive to protect our offspring at all, at all costs. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a, mm-hmm. an instinctual drive to protect ourselves from pain.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And so you picture the parent who's sitting there and they know their addicted child is out there and they know that they have rescued them time after time after time. and Nothing's getting better. And yeah. they've been right. They've gone to Al-Anon. They've gone to, to therapists who yeah. say you have to just you can't let them back in the house. Mm-hmm. We'll keep it as simple as that example. Right. You can't let them back in. You let them back in. This whole thing resets. Right, And so you have a parent, I always picture the parents sitting there, they know their child is out there on the street. And they're facing all the dangers that entails. And yet they have to fight both of those instincts, right, Mm -hmm. to protect them and bring them in and also to alleviate their fear to sit there for a whole night and know they can't let them back (laughs) in sit with that level of fear mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the child, again, that's the self-protection of uh, their own pain. Of, of right. No one wants to experience that kind yeah. of pain mm-hmm. of knowing that could happen to their child. Yeah. And so those are powerful drives to, to yes, try to are. get in and start to like literally, you have to do a counterintuitive thing and <coughs> set the boundary, right? However that boundary might look. And yep. so working with parents on that for whatever reason, it, it just it draws me in because i think of the empathy i feel for the parents and the family that i don't know that many people like understand the depth of that paradox and the depth of the difficulty
0: that's right of what
4: it is to pull back and set the boundaries in that loving way and how do you do that and how do you how do you how do you square that even with your own morality and your value system it's so counterintuitive yes it is yeah
1: Yeah. So,
2: Children. I, Go ahead. so I think that what you're saying is so well, I think that families, in my mind, do the best that they can do with the resources they have. Mm-hmm. And when they come to see someone like you or Lido or experience it, they learn how to do better. I, I think when I think of mental health and you didn't mention that you specialize or maybe Lido does or doesn't, probably the closest thing when you're bridging talking about addiction is um, you all know Randy Krueger stop walking on eggshells Mm -hmm. because I don't know a family and I do agree with you on one thing Adam families love they enjoy if their loved one has a mental health problem it Mm -hmm. is so much more palatable because they haven't done the disease hasn't taken them out they haven't lied they haven't cheated they haven't stole money and so it becomes you know I sometimes they're just really relieved. And sometimes they'd rather,
0: obviously they'd rather have a mental health Health diagnosis than than a substance use disorder.
2: But when you think about, you know, stop walking on eggshells because both people Mm -hmm. with mental health and addiction or substance use disorders I've found, and I'm sure you do too, they're walking on Mm eggshells and they don't know what to do. And yeah. they've done what they believe is the best they can do. And maybe your role, which I, I'm so excited that you're so passionate about working with family, is to teach them new strategies and skills.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Totally, sure. right? And I think it's been that's been the somewhat unique challenge. Because I, I remember when I was segwaying into working with primary mental health, I was curious about, like, how is this whole codependency piece going to manifest? Or how are we going to treat it here? Because, again, we don't have the tangible substance almost right. kind of be the enemy right it's it kind of almost yep. in a way you don't have that kind of an advantage if mm-hmm. you will in a way right like yep. there's there's this almost different um way it can manifest it's either good in regard to again there's like there isn't that same stigma there isn't the same kind of bridges burnt if you will well, yeah uh, but also there are times where it is where yep. it, it might not be a substance but there's been again maybe it's a like the personality features of a disorder, right? They kind of play into behaviors that totally push people away mm-hmm. and totally burn bridges. Um, but it's just more difficult to deal with because it's like those boundaries get a little more difficult to kind of instruct on. But I love what you're saying, Lisa, about the walk on eggshells, because that's such a good example of like how boundaries look might look a little different where mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. addiction, it's, it's a little more clear cut of don't rescue.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: But when it comes to... A family system where there's a mental health um, issue, and again, maybe it's again more of a personality feature, even where the boundary is no, 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 like we can't bite our tongue, we can't bite your tongue anymore around this, <clears throat> right? Every every step along the way, you have to stop and say, this is not okay the way you were addressing me, right? Or this is not okay what you're saying to me, right? Like holding <coughs> the boundaries and saying basically no more, no more walking on the eggshells. I, you know, I, as a parent or the spouse, like I'm going to not shy around reality
0: anymore.
2: Excuse me. And I guess one variable, which we do have with mental health, is I'm sure if you've, you're you the last resort, so I'm sure you're busy creating scaffolding, but medication management is really mm-hmm. a key indicator of um, mental health. Uh, you know, people who don't want to take their medicine, mm-hmm. who don't see that, and that's where they run into some kinds of problems, and they probably end up back at Lido
0: Or take it until they, take feel it, take right. it they feel better. Or take it until they feel better. And then, and then
2: I'm all better and yeah. I don't need it. I can go step down the Amazon yeah. or surf somewhere.
0: Well, Adam, it sounds like you guys are doing an absolutely amazing job at, at Lido. And uh, did you want to say?
1: Well, we're running out of time yeah. here, so I just wanted
0: to.
1: But I had a couple of fun questions that I thought I'd ask you just to find out about Adam the man, not Adam the therapist. <laughs> but uh, what's your happy place? Where Ooh, is it? Um, where are you? Where? Where is it?
4: So I guess I think of, too, like, real happy place is just, like, my home, right? Mm-hmm. Like, my family, I have, you know. I love that. And love my that. wife and my two young kids I who I just, that. I go home and I love, you know, my son's six, my daughter's three. I love just being on the floor
0: mm-hmm.
4: and I just turn in, like, I, my favorite thing to do is just sit on the floor and just be a jungle gym to them. Mm-hmm. And just they love just wrestling with me and climbing all over me. Like my wife always jokes about it. Like dad's just the jungle gym, right? I just love. On the <laughs> yeah. Floor. Oh, I all love that. So all sweet. over and you know, all kinds of that. So that's like my happiest spot, probably. And then kind of the imaginary like happy place is is yeah the ocean surfing, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> surfing. That's <laughs> right. <Surfing. solo, laughs> yeah. Yeah. I go right, or I just wanna, you know be present and you know even imagining it just is yeah a happy yeah. place for me right Absolutely. what about
1: music what's what music do you have on your playlist right now has it changed since covid
4: <laughs> uh, no like so me, music's an interesting for, one for me because i've never been like the music guy where i go like looking for and i have all these playlists built out it's much more like a just some some music emotionally resonates or not and yeah. so i believe it or not it was Music I like to listen to that kind of inspires me is like uh, like movie scores. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. listening to like composers like Hans Zimmer is one of my favorites. And cool. there's something about that magic kind of just inspirational score that I actually sure. just all put that on and I'll listen to that while I work or while I'm driving home. Um, and then I like more of your kind of modern kind of rock folksy kind of bands and stuff too.
1: Yeah, cool. Very cool. So, uh, if someone wants to contact you, if uh, there's a mother or a father or a family member right now who's been listening or watching, um, how would they contact you?
0: Or contact Lido. Lido. Sure. So, yeah, yeah. probably. I mean, the Thank easiest probably way, right, especially
4: with this stage is just the virtual, right, with the websites. Yep. Um, okay. So com is All for right. Lido. And then my own for my own practice, it's just com.
3: Got it. Perfect. Or or, yeah, Perfect. the most.
4: Yeah, because that the website right kind of builds out all the other contacts. Right, you can find my phone number on there. You can contact me directly. Same with Lido. Yeah, the phone number to admissions is there. It's all kind of built in. So that'd be the easiest way to contact.
0: That's Perfect. great. Well, we love the work that you guys are doing at Wellness at Well Alito Wellness, and <laughs> we wish you guys all thank the greatest you. success. Louise is going to come you. out and see you guys. Yes, yeah.
2: so excited to meet you, and you yeah, know, if you. I so I look forward to actually meeting you in person.
0: Yeah. Thank, thank you for
2: you so your time. Much.
4: Yeah. Sorry, we're out thank of time, but, yeah, yeah, this flew by, and it thank did. you so much. I'm honored, and it was a privilege to be. Look here. forward
1: to meeting you in so person. So Yeah. Thank take you.
4: Great
2: Bye-bye. Take great care. Bye Bye-bye. bye. Bye-bye. Be well and have fun, sir. a fun surf. That's
0: right.
2: Catch that way. Bye, guys. Right. Bye.